Welcome to Free on a Bridge recording of Requiem's Dagger by Randall J. Wombeam, book one of the Foothold Saga, read by London Homer, Madison Volley, and Caleb Bristol. Print and Kindle versions of Requiem's Dagger are available on Amazon. Chapter 7 You should have warned me. Spit flew from William's teeth. Amaranta had ambushed him. When thousands of fay looked at him expectantly, he wanted to crawl beneath his chair. He couldn't back out now. They expected him, a person whom for most of his journeys traveled solo, to lead them into an entirely different reality. With her announcement finished, Amaranta brought William and his travel companions into the castle to the same room where they previously discussed the dagger. Amaranta sat at the head of the table, motioning for everyone to be seated. Pegasus gave her a dirty look before plopping his rear on the floor. I saw the look in your eyes. You would have given your life to travel through that mirror, to experience something new. It was true. You should have given me some warning. I intended to explain everything to you before making my announcement. However, we had an unwelcome visitor, and it seemed prudent to rush things. I'm sorry if this upsets you. Which leads me to the second reason you should lead this expedition. She slammed the box containing the dagger onto the table. Elizabeth yelped, glancing back and forth between the box and William. We need to be wary of what we may find on the other side. We must ensure the dead queen does not have a foothold in the mortal realm, and she has shown enough interest in you personally to reveal herself. The dead queen? Elizabeth shouted. That dagger is hers and you've seen her? Stupid kid, who do you think cursed us? The derisive snort from the winged horse stopped the conversation. Everyone turned to look at Pegasus, whose expression, if anything, was even more disdainful. William voiced what everyone was thinking. You talk? Only to the gods, or if I have something important to say, like now. He headed for the door. I've no interest in the mortal realm, or the actions of the sorrowful realm. I will report you to Zeus, of course, but I have no further concern in this matter. As Stratton stood to follow him, Pegasus added, Stay! You only slow me down and you haven't done anything worthy enough to ride me. Stratton slumped into his chair, collapsing into himself as Pegasus flicked the mask off his head, striding out of the room. Dagfin grumbled, Prick. I see why you hate him, William commented. The things I can tell you. Amaranta signaled a handmaiden. Send our fastest emissary to Lord Zeus to inform him of Pegasus's disrespectful behavior. A warm hug from Elizabeth lifted Stratton's spirits, but he was too broken to say anything. William felt sorry for the mortal fay. Pegasus was an ancient hero, someone Stratton would have grown up idolizing. Dagfin was right. Pegasus was a prick. Amaranta broke the silence. That is one of our number down. So far, only two people will be adventuring through the mirror. Will, as the leader, and Natsumi, since she personally uncovered the passages at great risk to herself. Since you are Will's friends, I'm giving you the option of joining them. You will have a few days to decide, but rest assured, your membership in the expedition is a given. Natsumi dreamingly gazed at the walls, lost in thought. Jack's ever-present smile of rotting teeth grew even wider. He winked at William, indicated he decided beforehand to follow his friend. Andrina was difficult to read, but her stare had hardened. 
Her canine companion was panting and rubbing his head on her shoulder. Elizabeth looked uncertain and was eyeing the wooden box as if expecting it to explode. Lady Amaranta continued, Even if you decide to stay behind, your opinions will matter in selecting who travels to the mortal realm. Since you are Will's friends, I believe you shall have his best interest in mind. That said, the first thing we need to determine is which passage to take. Natsumi, please provide us with the information you've uncovered regarding the other side. Natsumi's cat ears perked up and she danced in her chair. The biggest of the three mirrors, as you have seen, appears to open into a casino. It's the easiest for a large group to cross into. I did get lost, but found my way back. At the time of my trip, it was night, but the lights were bright enough to make it day, and the streets were crowded. The air was dry and rather warm. Many of the mortals were drunk, and I had my photo taken with two women. Not that one, William said to several raised eyebrows. Too many witnesses. We won't be able to slip in and out without drawing attention. We need to remain cautious. If you agree, please raise your hands. Amaranta said. Stratton was too busy sulking, but otherwise everyone agreed with William. Natsumi continued. The second most likely mirror leads into the men's restroom. It appears a tight fit, but the passage expands around anything that it goes through. As far as I can tell, it leads into a cafe where women dress in maid uniforms and wear cat ears. The one problem I can foresee is the mortals on the other side. They look like me. You would all stand out in a crowd. Amaranta waited for William to object. He considered asking Natsumi why they would stand out, but saved the question for later. And the last mirror? Amaranta asked. Natsumi smiled knowingly. This mirror we know the most about. It's the first mirror I stepped through. The mirror was used by Brothers Hunter nearly a decade ago. I told you so! Jack snorted, rolling his eyes. The two brothers unexpectedly appeared in the middle of my forest. Amaranta clarified. They were excited by the trip into the magical world, but had mistakenly believed they'd be able to return. When I explained to them the passages back to the mortal realm did not exist, they weren't as upset as they should have been. I suppose they believed they'd eventually find their way home. They stayed with me for some time before restlessness sent them off exploring. I've heard stories of their further exploits, but not much else. Stratton said in a weak voice, When I was a child, my mother told me about a pair of brothers from the mortal realm that wandered into Olympus. That would have been a long and dangerous journey, William said, wishing he had met the brothers. If they were as interested in exploring the Fey realm as it sounded, they would have been wonderful travel companions. Natsumi said, When the brothers visited, the mirror they stepped through was located inside their house. It has either been moved or the passage has jumped to another location. When they entered our realm, they claimed they came from a city named Seattle. Amaranta added, According to the brothers, Seattle is the rain capital of the world and has loads of trees. This may appeal to you since it will remind you of home. William said, That's assuming the portal doesn't lead somewhere else. One of many concerns. Personally, I think that's the best option. We have some idea where it may lead and Natsumi didn't fall after she stepped through it. Natsumi added, I should also point out that the furniture store is empty at night. Would you be able to tell us when this is? Easily. I'm recommending that passage. Does everyone agree? Raised hands and general nods of approval answered Amaranta's request. I will make an announcement that Seattle is our first destination, and travel elsewhere shall be delayed for the time being. 
In the meantime, I suggest you talk to Jack about anything the brothers Hunter may have told him during their visit. He was friends with them. William interpreted his friend's mischievous grin as meaning Jack planned on telling the finest fabrication he could invent while sprinkling in a few grains of the truth. The three days passed quickly enough with everyone's attention consumed by the celebrations. William's anger at Amaranta's surprise announcement was overwhelmed by his mounting excitement. William was traveling into another reality, a place he had seen visions of but never visited. He was going to experience an exotic new land beyond his imagination. How could he not be excited? The scarce tidbits of genuine information he gleaned from Jack were surprising. Jack informed him that the mortal realm lacked magic except hucksters who cheated people out of money. William checked with Amaranta, who confirmed the story, only to find Natsumi had tested a spell on the other side. It was like pushing my thoughts through syrup, but it worked after a couple tries, she told him. The unspeakable horror lurking in Seattle's skyline, living in the Space Needle, was an obvious falsehood. The Space Needle was possibly real, and William believed it feasible the city housed a museum dedicated to music. As for the music melting people's heads, that was another crazy story. Stratton had proven susceptible to Jack's imagination, believing every falsehood while gasping in surprise and threatening to bash their brains with my bare fists if I have to. So far, Jack had convinced Stratton people rode giant lizards, movies could be smelled, and something called the internet was powered by millions of hamsters running tirelessly on a giant wheel. William eventually abandoned correcting Jack, permitting Stratton to be deceived. Elizabeth almost disappeared entirely. William occasionally spotted her strolling through the streets deep in thought, talking to other emissaries. When she cornered him in the courtyard, he was surprised by her stern expression. What powers do you have? What? If you're going to be leading us, I want to know about your magic. William chuckled apprehensively. <laughs> My magic? Yes, your magic. She cupped her hand, blowing into her fingers. A diminutive blizzard swirled from her mouth, forming a perfect snowball she pitched at Jack. The snowball pelted the back of his head, knocking off Jack's precious hat. Gah! This means war! A flurry of dinner rolls flew in their direction. When Jack ran out, he tossed pastries Stratton happily handed him. Dodging an eclair, she demanded, Your turn. Jack appeared in a puff of brown and black smoke, pastries piled in his arms, ready to dump on Elizabeth. His turn for what? To demonstrate his magic. The pastries rolled across the grass, a maniacal laugh bursting from Jack's rancid lips. This'll be good. Dagfin, come here, boy. You have to see this. If you ever call me that again... Dagfin zipped across the courtyard, Hendrina a short distance behind him. Jack said, William is going to demonstrate his powers. This'll be good. Go ahead. Demonstrate away. Curious onlookers were congregating, wondering what was transpiring. William was glad Baxter was nowhere to be seen, because he would likely enjoy seeing William humiliated. Jack bowed and said with a sweep of his hat, Behold! The wonder that is William the Wanderer, as he demonstrates the entirety of his fantastical cosmic powers! William had no choice but to follow through. Everyone was waiting for him, and Elizabeth had asked. He cupped his hand over the top of his walking stick, and a pale glow, blue this time, hovered atop the stick. He held the walking stick above his head, Jack producing wooing noises. That's it? Elizabeth's disillusioned voice cracked. 
You have no real powers? Hendrina said. Selecting a leader based on their physical strengths rarely ends well. I was expecting something more. William told her, If it makes you feel better, Chapter I have six. plenty of magical items in my backpack that helped me out over the centuries. She shook her head. When Amaranta's message arrived, I had to fight my sisters to prove I deserved to go. I was my father's second choice. The only reason we're having this discussion is because my older sister thought she earned a few extra days skiing. Hendrina groaned. That only proves my point. Your sister may have been physically stronger. She cheated, but you were more determined. I cheated more! Dagfin laughed. Precisely. I just thought it'd be a good idea to know what everyone's powers are. William smiled at her naivete. Elizabeth was showing her youth by assuming William had not already determined what kind of magic would serve them best. Not because he saw potential strength as she did, but because he understood the potential danger. He did not want anyone whose powers relied on blood sacrifices or were solely destructive. The best magic would fascinate mortals while appearing harmless. Now was not the correct moment to point that out, but rather to lift her spirits. You know what I can do. Jack's a prankster. He can change his appearance and size, vanish, and a couple of other tricks. You throw snowballs. We weren't competing with a snowball fight. I broke one of my sister's legs. Right, he said, wondering what Elizabeth was holding back. Dagfin and Hendrina have magical tracking powers. She... Hendrina snatched the hat off Jack's head. The tip of the arrow erupted in a gold flame. Jack screeched, Don't you dare! She shoved the hat back in place. Remember this next time you're tempted to dump something on my head. William continued. She has a few tricks up her sleeve when it comes to her arrows. Stratton, what can you do? Stratton shrugged his shoulders if it were no big deal. I have roughly the same strength as my half-brother Hercules. You now know our strengths. We'll have a few more people with us to complement our powers. Is that okay with you? The corner of Elizabeth's lip lifted. I guess I can protect you weaklings if I have to. Chapter 8 A raucous throng of fae assembled in the courtyard, desiring to be amongst the first to step into the mortal realm. At least a fourth of those invited to the masquerade were in attendance, and they were too busy discussing why they would be selected to notice William studying them atop the steps. Amaranta had given her guests permission to free themselves of the court's compulsory apparel, meaning the Fae were in their natural state, allowing him to appreciate how menacing or distrustful they appeared. Pegasus was a William's only travel companion, unwilling to journey to Seattle, assuming they were going to Seattle. William could not shake the feeling they were departing on a one-way trip. That the mirror might leap to another location or the universe would return to its natural state while they were on the other side. Amaranta added one more number to the expedition, the pixie Tina. Tina was hired as a messenger in case they split into separate parties or if they required someone speedy to ask for reinforcements. Amaranta asked, What are your impressions? We're going to disappoint a lot of people. Yes, I was afraid this many would show up. Not what I meant. He pointed into the crowd. That's a griffin. That man is a talking umbrella. You saw the mortals. How are they going to react to someone like that? Uh, take photos! Jack joked. 
Jack was stalking William, as if worried William would leave without him, or more likely, he would miss a potential chance to play a prank. The others waited for the trio to return to the dining room, and were discussing the questions they intended to ask the applicants. That may have been a fluke, William said, remembering the tourists. They looked like they had stumbled into an unexpected circus, not people in the presence of prospective monsters. The speed with which they photographed the scene didn't concern William because he was more concerned with the realization he instantaneously realized what they were doing. Slot machines and cell phones were foreign technologies, and yet William recognized them and how mortals employed them. How could he possibly know that? Amaranta interrupted his troubled musings. I'll turn away anyone that may frighten the mortals. They'll be disappointed, but I think some gifts might appease them. Is there anyone else problematic who I should be aware of? A few, he admitted, noticing for the first time Baxter had joined the crowd and was looking murderous. He pointed out several individuals, explaining his reasons for turning them away. When he finished, William retired to his chateau, taking his seat at the head of the table. As previously agreed, Jack sat to his right with Andrina and Dagfin, while Elizabeth Stratton and Natsumi were on his left. Tina enthusiastically circled the ceiling, dancing impatiently. The first interviewee was a disaster. The elderly woman, dressed in oily rags, whose only discernible features were her wrinkled hands and bulbous nose, openly admitted she wanted to go into the mortal realm to see if the hearts of the children are delicious as the hearts here. The second candidate was an acquaintance of Hendrina's. She refused to call him a friend, noting she had worked with Cole on numerous occasions, and although crude and violent, he kept his word. Cole was a robust man, with abundant furs heaped atop his enormous shoulders. He carried a broadsword and several other weapons he dumped onto the table, earning him a reproving tut from Amaranta. Scars pockmarked his chin, a particularly ghastly gash, crisscrossing his hawk-like features. The marks were unsightly, but could possibly help him pass as a mortal. When asked his motivations for entering the mortal realm, Cole said in a gruff voice, For business. The way I see it, mortals don't have magic, and they're about to start seeing lots of our kind. If so, they're going to want someone who knows how to fight magical beasties. Considering some of the battles William witnessed in the Mortali Proser Lacus, mortals were likely capable of protecting themselves already, but William politely kept the information to himself. Maybe Cole was correct and the mortals would eagerly accept his help. When asked by Elizabeth about his magic, Cole laughed and said, Nothing fancy. I'm fairly strong and I've been fighting monsters for longer than most of the people in this room have lived. That means I'm a skilled fighter if you hadn't figured that out. In addition, if I go, I've got a witch who enchants my weapons for me. She's too frightened to come with us, but she won't mind hanging around here if we need her. Speaking with Amaranta earlier, William considered outright dismissing Baxter. Instead, he decided the man could stay, partly to reduce Baxter's hostility towards him, mainly because he was curious why Baxter would be willing to travel with someone he despised. The answer was simple. Since you're in charge, I want to keep you from harming the mortals. As for his power, Baxter had absolutely no magic. He was a voice from his kingdom and peddled candies, nothing more. When he was out of the room, Dagfin said, One more in the rejection pile. No, I want him with us, William responded. Startled faces stared back at him. 
Jack chuckled. That's hilarious. I'm not joking. I think he's right. We need someone willing to step between us and the mortals in case we do something dangerous. And since he's practically immortal to begin with, he'll understand them better than we will. Elizabeth said, And you're not worried he's going to kill you? I'm aware of that. William's lip had healed, but it was still tender. By picking someone who is my enemy, and vocally so, the applicants we reject will feel less dejected and believe I was impartial in my decisions. The next promising candidate was a roguish character with a magical cutlass. He had a devilish, charming personality and a playful smirk. Like William, he was an explorer and was curious what adventures awaited on the other side of the looking glass. He wasn't particularly powerful, as he admitted, but he was capable of a number of elusive tricks. Of course, there was a catch. They had to pay him. I want her, he pointed to Elizabeth. A few nights, that's all I ask. Hendrina looked like she was about to throw herself across the table. Had Elizabeth not approached the grinning scoundrel, she would have pulled the man to the ground and cut out his heart. If that's all you want, I think that's acceptable. How about a kiss first? Satisfied, the scoundrel leaned back, eagerly awaiting Elizabeth's puckered lips. Hendrina's gold eyes blazed with rage. Elizabeth hovered an inch from his face, blowing into the scoundrel's mouth. The man was about to complain she hadn't kissed him when he clutched his chest and collapsed, hacking snow from his lungs. Elizabeth returned to her chair. I told you my father did not leave his daughters defenseless. Once they established the scoundrel was still alive, Amaranta's handmaidens escorted him from the room to be bundled in blankets while sipping hot cider. If she disapproved of Elizabeth's actions, Amaranta did not say. William wanted the next promising candidate to join them. The man's magic included the ability to become invisible, and he was a prankster like Jack, whose broad grin meant he found another accomplice. Unfortunately, the candidate was under the impression they were traveling to the casino. Amaranta promised him that when they journeyed there, he would be included. Too many rejects to count later, Amaranta escorted into the room a man with the most exquisite handlebar mustache William had ever seen. The man was easily a head taller than everyone else in the room, with a particularly sinewy physique and extremely dark skin. He wore a black suit coat with a pair of pinstriped pants and fancy dress shoes. His Halloween orange vest was flecked with gold gears, matching his tie and the ribbon circling his top hat. Strapped to the black hat was a pair of goggles. His outfit was completed by a simple cane he held in a pair of golden gloves. William expected Jack to be enthralled with the man's fancy clothing, but instead he was glowering at him with extreme confusion. The man introduced himself as William Theodore I. William asked, What is your motive for entering the mortal realm? I'm in need of a home. Vincent remained standing. My kingdom was tragically destroyed a number of years ago, and I would like to find a place to settle down, a place that offers me the freedom of knowing those that wish me worse than dead will be hard-pressed locating. Hendrina said, I'm sorry to hear your loss. With all the new kingdoms appearing, it's been too much violence as of late. Where did you hail from? Please, don't ask. It's still too painful to speak of. Then we won't, William reassured him. Jack was rubbing his chin, studying the man. Can you elaborate on what magic you possess? I'm sorry to inform you, I'm not that gifted. All I possess are my sword, cane, and a good sense of empathy, as well as my wits. Wits, I believe, I have demonstrated fully, if you have not already figured it out. The expedition members searched the room, trying to uncover Vincent's devious ploy. 
William replayed everything Vincent said in his mind, noting Jack was chuckling to himself. His best friend winked at William. You're speaking English, William said. Exactly, Vincent said with a bow. I noticed the boy and his mother were not speaking as we do, but in one tongue. I believe this to be of immense significance, and may have been overlooked. Jack had informed William their brother's hunter claimed English was the language spoken by the majority of Americans. Their brothers knew a few phrases of Spanish, but that was it. And with most of Jack's plausible stories, William confirmed the truth by asking Amaranta. He was impressed with Vincent's discovery and his command of the language William and Jack had been practicing. Speaking English without leaping into another language required considerable concentration. Vincent was the last applicant that showed promise. They rejected the remaining candidates for a variety of reasons. Some they feared would start murdering people. Others they believed would desert the expedition to explore the mortal realm on their own. A number argued that the mortal universe was rife with magic, disagreeing that they should restrain their sorcery unless absolutely necessary. Amaranta delivered the bad news personally, offering the rejects gifts and promises about further trips into the mortal realm. A day later, the expedition gathered in the dining room, excited and terrified to start their voyage. Amaranta requested they speak privately before they journeyed to the castle steps, where the Seattle mirror remained. The other mirrors were tucked away in secret corners of the palace under the protection of armed guards to discourage anyone from sneaking into the mortal realm without permission. The shop will open soon, Natsumi warned. We know, William reassured her for the fifth time. Hypothetically, they didn't need Amaranta. They could step into the mirror whenever they wanted, but it seemed impolite to leave the room, much less her court, without permitting her a few parting words. He was beginning to think they might have to leave without saying goodbye when Amaranto arrived carrying a familiar wooden box. Intricate runes were painted onto the wood, the magical symbols casting her diminished features in a waxy white light. Before you go, there is something for you to be made aware of. Amaranta spoke in a frail voice. Contained within this box is an item of great evil. I don't exaggerate, and I shall not show you its contents. It's safer if you do not know, nor of the circumstances with which it was found. The mortal realm may not be as safe as we once believed. Unspeakable enemies may lurk in the shadows. Stay vigilant. If you wish, you may back out at this time. We will think no less of you. Cole scratched his whiskers. Unspeakable enemies. Evil. Are you trying to entice me never to return? Vincent swallowed, eyeing the box. After confirming the others remained, he stood straighter, holding his cane in both hands, adamant he never wavered in his conviction. Please, proceed to the mirror. Amaranta smiled, wincing as she spoke. Will, a private moment, please. With the door closed, Amaranta collapsed. William caught her before her head banged the table. Her skin was icy cold, her eyes had a sunken dead look to them. He guided her to a chair where she regained enough strength to speak. I divined what I could, but I'm afraid the dagger's true nature is beyond my understanding. It has many uses and transforms itself. But penetrating the spells, it's beyond my capabilities. Nonetheless, I surrender my life in return for such knowledge. This dagger destroys mirrors in a way and has power to drain the life from anything it stabs, as long as the wielder willingly makes a sacrifice of themselves. It also serves as a key. But to what, I do not understand. 
I could go no further. You shouldn't have done this to yourself. I know. She swallowed. I'm sorry to ask this of you, but please take the dagger with you. It must not remain here. Shades of death were felt within my castle, and I fear the dead queen's presence as long as it remains. Again, my apologies, old friend. William accepted the box, examining the glowing symbols. The magic was powerful enough to suppress the dagger's enchantments, but with enough pressure he could easily break the seals. He quickly shoved the box inside his backpack out of easy reach. Amaranta held out an arm. Would you mind escorting me to the step? I lack the strength to walk there on my own. Of course. Amaranta refused to allow him to carry her, doing her best to walk. Had they not been friends, she would never have allowed him to see her in such a state, much less ask for his assistance. When they reached the palace entrance, she took a painful step forward, throwing the doors open. Amaranta presented herself as a strong leader. When she finished her speech and the expedition was well underway, she would take a much-needed catnap. William's ears were assaulted by the sound of thousands of clapping hands and hollering voices. The grass was no longer visible due to the number of fey crowding the courtyard. Everyone living in Amaranta's kingdom had arrived, bringing with them an assortment of fey from every neighboring kingdom and stretch of the wilds. William would not be surprised to learn the crowd filled the village streets, spilling into the forest. Amaranta raised her hands, a hush falling over the assembled fay. William forgot about the dagger or the danger Mavash presented on the other side. He was about to cross a threshold the fay had only seen in reflections. This was the most thrilling moment he could imagine. When he joined the others at the bottom of the steps, Amaranta's voice boomed across the courtyard. William pictured how strenuous it must be for her to speak, much less sound as if she were in command. Today is a glorious day for all of us. We take our steps beyond what is familiar, into a world we know little about. This is our moment, a moment we all share, a moment we shall remember for ages now. Let us journey together to a new world, to new and greater future. Dykfin mumbled loud enough for William to overhear. That wasn't at all pretentious. The flat reflection of William swirled into the familiar image of the furniture store. The lights were dimmed and the bookshelves had disappeared. William was aware of thousands of eyes watching as he eased his way towards the mirror. He tried to think of something profound to say, but was unable to create a stirring speech. Instead, he plunged his foot into the passage, waving at the boisterous crowd. A black nothing embraced William, pulling him through faded dreams. He sensed ancient beings reaching for him before stumbling onto the wooden floor. The furniture store was noticeably larger than expected with tannished cream walls and windows staring into the gloomy city beyond. Assorted prints of varying quality hung above a hodgepodge of furniture marked with price tags and 25% off signs. A threadbare red carpet descended the stairs onto the floor below. William motioned for the others to continue, approaching the windows. The sun had risen at some point, the early morning light fighting the overcast sky. Across the street was a shopping center with a few trees growing behind the rectangular beige building. Cars waited for their owners in a parking lot, a large SUV rumbling along the street. William wondered how he knew what cars were, how he identified the lemon-colored one as a sports car, and how he knew the various words for automobiles in every spoken mortal language. Amazing. The world was different and exciting all at once, but there was a tang in the air, a chemical stench that clogged his lungs. 
fossil fuels, and cleaning supplies. Again, no explanation for his remarkable knowledge. Jack skipped through the mirror, the reverberating shouts from the eager crowd shaking the floor. No sooner had Jack stepped into the mortal realm when he vanished in a puff of smoke, appearing half his size atop a cabinet. Magic seems to work just fine. A little harder than it should have been. Jack rubbed his forehead, grimacing. Ouch! Dagfin scanned the room, sniffing the furniture, a look of disgust crinkling his nose. Hendrina approached a sofa, testing its sturdiness with a kick, before plopping onto the cushions. This place would make a great headquarters, she suggested. We'd have plenty of places to relax. William started to say, that's assuming we're welcome. Hobbling his way up the steps was an elderly Japanese-American man. When he reached the top of the steps, he yelped, clutching his chest. The man's wrinkled eyes darted down the stairs as if he were trying to determine the possibility of flying to safety. His brain worked out several of his bones would break, and that he couldn't possibly outrun the trespassers when his attention snapped to the armed criminal clad in heavy furs stepping out of the mirror. Before anyone could stop him, Cole unsheathed his sword and pressed the tip into the old man's neck. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Foothold Saga. You can follow Randall J. Wombeam on Facebook for updates about his writing and the Foothold Saga on Twitter for updates about this podcast. To support this free audiobook, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.